Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Many who return from near-death experiences find they have abilities they were never aware of before. Some of these include gifts of healing, reading others' thoughts, seeing auras, even prophetic visions, and they rightly attribute them to spiritual gifts, even though that latent ability might have lurked inside them since their birth. Our guest today, David Ditchfield, was plagued by dyslexia all his life. Disabled in his reading skills, he was teased and criticized by teachers and classmates all through school, leaving him with little self-respect, poor job prospects, and, and a serious drinking problem. What no one recognized in David is that dyslexia is often a sign of latent gifts beyond the sequential process of reading. Dyslexics are often highly intelligent and creative, gifted as visual, multidimensional thinkers. For example, some of the many dyslexic geniuses include Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Leonardo da Vinci, Auguste Rodin, and Walt Disney. Today, David is an acclaimed artist and composer, but it took a dramatic accident and an NDE to turn his life around from its unpromising beginnings. In 2006, he was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. As the surgeons fought to save his arm, he had a profound near-death experience, and later he realized he had acquired astonishing new abilities. The first, an ability to create dramatic paintings of what he'd seen in the afterlife. The second, the ability to compose classical music, despite being unable to read or write any musical notation. His debut symphony premiered at a sellout orchestral concert to a standing ovation. He has since composed further classical works, also premiered at sellout performances, and continues to paint and compose in Cambridge, England. His book, Shine On, which tells his remarkable story, is out with a foreword by Raymond Moody, who writes, David Ditchfield's Shine On is one of the most gripping accounts of a near-death experience that I have read. David, all the way from Cambridge, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Hi, Lee. And thanks for that lovely introduction. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, it's such a remarkable thing that you went through. But start us at the beginning. I believe you told me you grew up in a family that attended the Church of England. And by the age of 10 or 11, you'd lost interest in attending Sunday services. Tell us a little about how people reacted to your dyslexia and what effect that had on you. Yeah, well, I wasn't really diagnosed at the time, and, and it wasn't taken very seriously, dyslexia. Or at now, you know, the people who've got learning difficulties are, are, are guided through school and yes. helped and encouraged. But that wasn't the case for me. And we, we had a, this system in our schools where we'd have uh, bad reports and good reports, you know. And the good reports would go out to the guys who tried really hard and, and achieved. And the bad reports were just really condemning they they really they were literally written on red paper so i had many of those and i know and they were they they didn't hold back you know in their comments they were really scathing quite personal as well and this was intended to go back to my parents and for my parents to sort of 
be in complete shock thinking wow I didn't realize this is what you were like at school you know and I was trying to explain myself saying look I actually want to learn I want to achieve I'm not that person that they're writing about you know and uh yeah but the thing is it's just like what's struck me more recently is how much how important those things are you know how irresponsible it is of the system to be set up like that because yeah. it stays with you it, it, it's your template for life basically not just in terms of job prospects but in terms of your character you know it, it make that's how you feel you know i went for, through years of feeling like a failure and embarrassed about myself well not too long before your spectacular train accident, which I'll have you describe in a minute. Life wasn't going for you so well, but a friend suggested that you attend a public meeting with a psychic. Tell us what she said there. Yeah, well, it was by chance. I had I'd got no interest in anything like that at all, actually, uh, other than I was on a train traveling up to see um, my sister and her family, and there was a, a, a lady sat opposite me asking directions for the next station or what have you. And uh, and she said, look, we're, we're going to stay medium tonight. And I said, okay. And I I, I wasn't really interested. I was actually quite hungover. I remember that day. And I just thought, <laughs> I, I don't want to listen to this, you know. But she was insistent on giving me like this little flyer. So I put it in my pocket. And I, I, got, I got this flyer out when I arrived at my sister because there was a lot of mayhem going on with the kids and stuff, you know. And I just thought, I'm going to go. I'm going to give it a go and just try it out. And I got to, it was a small spiritualist church uh, in the, in the town and I called St. Ives. And it was just a doorway, basically, you know, the unassuming doorway. And I walked through there and it was packed. There's a lot of people in there. So I, I shuffled my way to a seat and sat down and this medium was great. She was very animated. She came out and she was like giving lots of messages to people who'd come there to connect with their loved ones who'd passed and, you know, they're all all messages about that, really. And then she suddenly turned around. It, I felt like the atmosphere shifted, and, and she she looked at me, and she said, gentleman in the blue sweater, your life is about to change. And I was going, really? I said, well, in what way? And, and she walked around, and she was going, yes, yes, I know. She was, like, talking to them. And she said, they're not telling me, but they just said, be prepared because it's going to be big. So I thought, you know, it's going to be a lottery winning and all, you know, the kind of things you'd expect, you know. But, of course, that wasn't to be. And the, the big change that they were talking about was the huge accident I was about to have and the huge life event that would turn everything around for me. Yes. You said, I think, in your book, uh, it was a, she said this in a different kind of voice entirely. Strange, powerful. Yeah. Made the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end. I yeah, thought, it was. It, it was wow. totally different. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It just seems kind of like it was almost like you know the focus had gone off the whole evening, of you know bringing joy to people, saying I'm connected with your your grandfather or whatever you and you know, a gold watch and things like that. You know, it was all very much like yeah. that. Whereas it seemed very profound, a very sort of like, and she seemed like she'd gone into almost like a trance mode. And she was like, as I say, she was connecting and talking with these voices coming into her mind. And, and um, yeah, so it was, it, it was something I've, I've, I'll never forget. <laughs> and when you asked about it, I think she said you are being cared for, led, embraced and carried more than you can possibly know. That's right. She did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I, I didn't really get that at the time because I my life was in a bad, as you introduced, you know, I, I was drinking heavily. I was running out of money. I was running out of work. You know, I, I was living in London and I was picking up 
um, mainly blue collar work, you know, casual laboring, working on construction sites, washing up in kitchens, in restaurants, you know, and all that was coming, I was running out of luck. So, um, and I was about to lose my apartment. I was about to lose everything. Wow. So there was a, I couldn't really connect with that. I didn't really, my mind would not say, yes, I am being protected. That's great. Because I was non-spiritual, you know, I didn't really think about the church, uh, Christianity, faith, none of those things. I wish I had, because it would have helped me through a lot better at that point. Well, we come to the train station, and you were seeing your friend Anna off uh, on the train, and, uh, well, describe what happened. Yeah, um, well, she'd come to visit. I was, I'd, I'd, I'd stayed for a few weeks at my sister's with her, with the family, and she'd come up from London, and, and uh, she had to get back. So I was helping her onto the car uh, with her bags and everything, and, you know, we were saying goodbye, and I gave her a hug and a kiss. And... Then it was at that point, my the bottom, I was wearing like a sheepskin coat, like three quarter length coat, and the bottom corner got trapped in the automatic closing doors and I couldn't pull it free. You know, and I remember just like hearing the engines rev and I just looked into Anna's eyes through the glass, you know, and I could see sheer terror as she looked back. And I just figured at this point that this was it. I thought I was, I'm going to die. I'm not going to survive. Wow. Anyhow, the train started to pull out the station uh, and it went at great speed. You know, I, I felt every gear change, every gear shift. And I eventually lost my footing and was dragged along the platform edge. And then I was pulled between the space of, of the platform edge and the speeding train. And I went under, I was sucked under. It was like being sort of pulled into a, a very dark and violent machine you know i felt the mechanics i felt all that metal i felt the heaviness of it all because i was like fully conscious but um i remember going into fight or flight mode and and i decided to fight you know i decided that i wasn't going to let this thing beat me it's it's almost like the train suddenly morphed into like this huge mechanical beast it was no longer a train and i thought you're not going to take me you're not going to beat me and um I was thrown around. It's like tossed around like a ragdoll, basically. And then I ended up being thrown down in between the tracks and I was laid in between the track and the train was still going on. It was a very long train. And eventually it, 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 it went down and I remember just lying there and I couldn't believe I'd survived that. I couldn't believe I was alive. Yeah. They shut down the whole system, didn't they? They didn't want any yeah. more trains to come by. That's right, yeah, because there was no guard on the platform, but there was somebody in a, in like a little office with you know with with cameras watching the trains pull out, and she was in charge of signaling, and so she shut down the whole system, which I didn't know that. I wish I'd known it because as I had laid there, all, all I could think was, you know, is another train going to come? You know, it, it's yeah. not all over yet, and uh, so yeah. But the paramedics arrived really quick. You know, they like there was a small hospital nearby. So they arrived, they jumped down on, onto the track and they cut through my clothing. And they somehow got me onto a stretcher and into an ambulance. It's a long drop. You know, it really is. When you're down there, you don't realize oh, yeah. how far down. And um, so, yeah, they got me in an ambulance. I remember the, the doctor turning around to me and saying, uh, look, you know, there's a hospital around the corner, but the one that's really going to save you is uh, a 25-minute drive. Can you hang on? I said, yeah, let's go. So we just 
sped off down the highway, you know, with the sirens mm. blasting out. That moment that we all dread that, you know, whenever we hear an ambulance go by, I always think, well, I hope that's not going to be me one day. And there I was, it was me. And um, mm. we arrived at the hospital and uh, I remember there was a whole team of medics and people waiting for me there. Um, you know, they'd been alerted from, from the station and they got to work on me straight away. There was a lot of anxiety in their voices, you know, and confusion. I didn't know what was going on because it was all science to me and I didn't know what they were talking about. So I I was scared, you know, I was I thought it's not all over yet, you know. This this I'm not sure that I'm gonna survive this because I was losing a lot of blood by this point, you know. I remember it being all over the floor. I remember my, my left arm had been cut, you know, uh, from the elbow down. And so there was lots of blood loss from there. Yes. He said uh, you could look right into the bone, I think in, in your book. I, that's right. That on the, that's when I was lying. That's the first thing I did because when I was lying on the track, you know, just like as we all do, you know, if you, even if you just have a fall on the, on the, on the footpath, the pavements, you know, you, you know, the sidewalk, you know, you look, see your what's happened you know there i was looking at the whole of my arm completely exposed it had been ripped open and i could see every single nerve ending every single sort of muscle and i was actually i remember going wow that's me that's the inside of me <laughs> the, the inside of my body it's it was it was quite a, 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 a profound moment to see all that you know yeah. anyhow um so there we are. So my family arrived uh, at the hospital, um, I, which was a real shock, you know, because the 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 actual um, consultant, uh, the surgeon who was in charge of everything, he was a really lovely guy. He said, "Look, your family are here. Can would you like to see them?" I said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, of course. You know, um, send them through, please." And so they came in, and my mother was in tears, and my father was just in complete shock. And I remember, there you go. You see, feelings. Those feelings of shame and guilt as a child came right rushing back into my mind, and I was apologizing to my mom. I said, Mom, I'm sorry. So it was me bringing dramas to this family, you know. Mm. And she said, No, it's not your fault. Stop it. You know, of course, it wasn't my fault, but it just goes to show you that's the place I was in in my mindset. Um, and then Anna was sat right at the back of the room, and I just was so pleased to see her because. We'd just been through something so profound together, you know, that there was an instant bond and connection. And and I was, I could see that she looked completely shattered. I said, look, I need to speak to Anna, please, you know. So she came over and I remember she just looked at me and she said, I can't believe you're alive. I thought you were dead. I, they announced, you know, over the system that, that um, there'd been a fatality and that you were dead. So um, anyhow, so... It was at that point that I, I left all the drama of the hospital, all the pain that I was in, and I left and I found myself in an, another realm altogether. Yes, I think you said it was like complete surrender, as though you'd let go of the side of a sinking boat and s- slip beneath the surface of the waves. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was, um, you know, it's not like I wanted to die. Uh, but after everything I'd been through in my life at that point, and after the horror of that accident, it was kind of like I accepted what was happening. I accepted that I, where I was going, um, because I didn't know what was happening. Obviously, I knew nothing about near-death experiences at this point. I'd never heard of them, you know. Right. And I did actually figure that, that that I hadn't survived. I thought this is it. 
you know, I'm, I'm dead. I've moved on to whatever awaits us all. And uh, yeah. So what did you see at first? Well, at first I, I, I figured I was actually in a darkened room. I thought I was in a dark space, you know, cause there wasn't a lot of light around. Um, but I was, I saw these orbs of colors that were almost greeting me that were slowly pulsating all around me. They were beautiful colors, you know, oranges, ambers, greens, and reds, you know, and as these colors pulsated, I started to feel relaxed and safe in this space, even though I didn't know where I was. And, um, I tried to get my bearings and I, I, I looked down and I realized that I was no longer laid on, on the hospital trolley, but I was on a, like a huge rock. It was like a big slate. Uh, I describe it as being like a medieval altar, you know, just a, for one of comparison. Yeah. And it, it, the strange thing was, it was actually very comfortable to lay on, you know, you normally you wouldn't. And I realized I was no longer clothed. I was just covered in this blue sheet. It was like a satin sort of silky material. Which, which I felt comfortable in. I know, not sorry, not comfortable. It felt comforting to have this kind of sheet laid over me. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I laid back <laughs> and I just closed my eyes and just kind of allowed myself to go with the, with that moment. And it's almost like through my eyelids, I noticed that there was light coming through, and so I opened my eyes. And as I looked up, I gazed up and I saw the three grids of light, like symmetrical grids closing in on me above my, my, my face, above my head and my body. And as I looked into this light, I, I, I realized that this light was so intense and so bright and white that I thought, how come I can look into it? Normally it'd be too bright to be able to, to gaze into, but I just couldn't take my gaze away because I realized it was more than just light. It was like a healing force, a healing energy that was just healing all the trauma that my body had just been through, that whole horrific accident. So I lay back and uh, closed my eyes and, um, and bathed in this light because <laughs> I felt that the energy coming from it was was actually really something quite like nothing I'd ever felt before. It was like a vibration, you know. Um then I felt the presence of somebody, like somebody had entered the room or the scene, if you like. So I opened my eyes again and lifted my head, and um, and just in front of me, uh, there was a an androgynous person stood at my feet, wearing a very simple contemporary black t-shirt, um, nothing too ethereal, with this kind of bright sort of white blonde hair and this skin that was glowing light from within um, and and the energy and the light that was coming from this person was just so beautiful. And I knew this person, but I couldn't, I couldn't place it where from, you know, I said out loud, I said, I know your face. I know you, don't I, where do I know you from? You know? <laughs> and this person refused to answer and just smiled at me with a knowing smile. But I knew instantly that I was, being guarded by this 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 uh, this being of light that this person was protecting me and i figured that i'd known he or she throughout the whole of my life and beyond you know there was that instant bond there so did this decided, person say anything to you? no this person said nothing you know mm-hmm. just it was just the smile that that said it all which was you know you're okay you're safe you know and um i 
I, I lay my head back and and I as I closed my eyes and uh, I felt this energy of of this the, that was coming from the light it would suddenly become more intense and then I felt the presence of more people and uh, either side of me there were there were two female forms um, with their hands hovering slowly over my body the girl to my my right was uh, was very European looking with long hair and just a simple brown dress again. Uh, whereas the girl to my left was more American Indian or Asian Indian or maybe Brazilian in, in, in appearance. And uh, she had a more traditional dress on. But the energy that was coming from their hands was 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 a lot more intense that, than the light that was coming from the three grids. And I felt like they were going from beyond just healing the physical wounds. I felt like they were healing all the the emotional wounds that I carried with me throughout my whole life that we all do, you know, baggage, we call it, don't we? When people say, oh, yeah, that person's carrying a lot of baggage. I certainly was. But I felt like all those layers of baggage were being slowly taken off me piece by piece. And they were just getting down to the pure essence of my soul, you know. the the, And I'd never felt like that before in my life. And it was just a, a beautiful feeling to, to you know experience all this unconditional love that was getting right down to the essence of me mm. and without a word being spoken huh well there was no word spoken but i was getting sort of telepathy if you like that, that was telling me what was going on so i knew that um the, all three of these these people that, that were there had been with me the whole of my life. You know, we all talk about having guardian angels. These were my guardian angels, and they'd been there throughout all those years of distress and, and hardship, but I'd never let them in. I'd never even listened. Even, even when I was told by a medium that I was being cared for and I was being looked after, I, 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 you know, I just couldn't acknowledge it then. So at this point, I realized that they had been there throughout, and I also realized that the, the being of light stood at my feet was actually my higher self you know my my true guardian angel my 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 keeper you know my the guardian to my soul that's why i knew that i'd, I'd known that person throughout all my life and as i say beyond you know so uh, yeah it was a strong bond it was a strong connection and it was all unconditional love that was coming from them wow was there anything else that they told you? Did they tell you anything about your future? No, nothing was nothing was said about my future because what was really apparent to me was that uh, that there was no sense of of past or future, mm. and that was what was so liberating for me because I'd spent so many so many years, especially the, up until that point, worrying about the past, worrying about past mistakes or opportunities that I'd missed. Or I was worrying about the future because I was broke. Where my life was going to go? What was I going to do with myself? How was I going to survive? All those things. Whereas all of a sudden, it didn't matter anymore. Time did not exist. The the past was was not important to me anymore. It was just a story, and so was the future. The future wasn't didn't wasn't of any concern to me. So, really, it was all about being in the present moment, being in 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 the essence of my pure authentic self and i guess you looked at uh, your your badly injured arm and it seemed to be healed that's right yeah um, on the other side although it was they were still working on it 
in the well in the yeah 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 i mean i it's one of the the first things i did actually was again was to was to check my body and and i noticed that everything was intact as uh, as i lay under this this blue sheet you know and i just had my arms out over the top of the sheet and uh, which which i uh, you know I, I painted later on and 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 yes everything was there but i still believe you know that you know that the even though my soul was now passed on to the onto the next realm it still was in shock it had been you know i'd been shattered basically uh, from a, a really really frightening and terrifying accident and i and i i believe that my you know the the body and and the soul still needed nurturing and i still needed to get to get grounded if you like so you think those were all your thoughts or were they in interjecting their thoughts along with yours well yeah i was i was most certainly being educated because as i say before i was completely non-spiritual and i wouldn't have even been able to piece any of this together uh, in in my my mindset the way i'd lived my whole life was was you know any adversity I just skip the surface, you know, I'd say, all right, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the nearest bar and have a drink with my friends or what have you, you know, there was, so all of a sudden I was being sort of given all like a sort of an education about the fact that actually I am really loved and I am, I'm okay. I'm not this bad person that I, I believed that I was, that I'd been taught by society that I was because I'd never fitted in and all those things, you know? So yeah, suddenly I was um, being able to intellectualize, if you like, everything that was happening to me. So I was being helped to be able to piece all that knowledge together. Did it make you want to stay there? Yeah, I was more than happy to stay there. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's because the experience evolved from that point. Because I mean, I remember as I lay there, I started thinking about my family in the hospital. Because obviously, as I pointed out earlier, they were very distressed and upset. And I thought, well, I'm clearly dead now, so they're very they're going to be really distressed. So I thought I better go and check on them. So I tried to edge myself over the side of this huge rock looking down hoping to see them um and i looked down and i couldn't see them i didn't see them at all but what i did see was this most beautiful sight it was a, an awesome waterfall of stars it was huge it was like it was like the size of um, victoria falls niagara falls you know it was it, but instead of millions of tons of water cascading over the edge you know there were billions of sparkling stars cascading over and shooting stars just flying through and down. And as I looked down, I tried to fix my gaze. And the further I looked, I realized I was looking in from one galaxy into another. And then I would start to see colors and nebulas and beautiful formations that I'd never seen before. You know, to me, the universe was just, uh, you know, that piece of black sky that I really looked up at with, with sparkling white stars. But no, these were beautiful colors that, that I was looking at. And uh, I just knew at that point that obviously it was, I was not in a small darkened space at all. I was in the universe itself. And that was like a really profound moment because I, I realized that I was actually part of the universe, you know, that I was actually, my energy was going with that forward moment movement of the universe. And, and, and that was really amazing. And I remember just pulling myself back over after looking at this 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 awesome sight and thinking, okay, well, 
I can't see my family now, but they're gonna they will get through this and eventually they will be coming to to you know experience all the wonders that I'm experiencing here themselves. And maybe I'll get to see them here. Who knows? But I'd got this kind of sense of positivity about it all. You know, there was no sense of guilt or worry or shame like I was feeling back in the hospital. I was okay about it. Yeah, I, I just thought they'll be fine. They will get through it, you know. So, yeah. I, I find it so interesting that there you're looking to see your family. You, you're thinking about some, you know, some other people that, that you love, mm. and and which means connection. And then suddenly you realize you're connected with the entire the entire universe. Exactly. That yeah. You look for your family and you see the entire the entire universe. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And uh, and it was all this was again, this was the next big lesson, you know, that mm. that uh and it's something that I still feel very strongly, you know, that, that I'd never thought about that before, that we are all part of the universe, you know, we're, that we're all connected with it. We've kind of forgotten that, you know, because mankind has just like developed so much, you know, that we just, technology is brilliant. I love it, you know, but but we've we've forgotten how we actually ruled by, by Mother Nature, but by, you know, the laws of the universe, if you like, and we're all part of that energy that's that's moving forward. And even though, you know, the world is in turmoil at the moment and there's a lot happening that's very, that we're all very frightened of, I do believe, you know, that, that the universe is behind us, that the universe wants us to keep creating because that's what the universe does. You know, that, that the rest of nature, the law, they all follow the laws of the universe. You know, when you think about the, the changes of seasons, how animals and birds follow that by when they nest and, you know, and they produce and all these different things. We've forgotten that we do that. So it was a, a moment of realization that yes, we are part of that universe as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we 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 have to remember that. I think. When you looked at the universe, did you continue to have that feeling of love? Yeah. Was it, well, the, was the, it the, flowing out of or from you into that connection? Um. Well, I mean. Basically, as I say, for the first time in my life, I I had um, got in touch with the authentic me, you know, Uh, and once you do that, and once you let go of all the the labels that are are tagged onto you, the identity that you give yourself, once you you lose that identity, you you get in touch with um, unconditional love. And and it's and it's a very high source that's there for us all to tap into. And so I was feeling that essence of pure love coming from from the three guides that were giving me this the the healing. And um, but it was it was to become more profound at the end of the actual uh, experience itself. Uh, that energy of unconditional love was to be given to me in a really incredible and profound way. Um, and I actually felt it before I saw it. I I, I was again laid out, and I I felt this energy of love had, had turned up like a huge dial, uh, and it was like every single molecule of my body was vibrating with this unconditional love. And I thought, what has happened? And I I lifted my head, and just beyond the uh, the androgynous being that was stood there, I saw a huge tunnel of white light coming through the universe, and it was coming towards me. And it was, it was. This was even huger than looking at this waterfall of stars, and there was dramatic flames that were like rolling around the the perimeter, around the edge of this this white light, 
again, normally that would be quite frightening and quite sort of like, because you wouldn't know what's going on. But for me, I just felt the excitement of it all and, and the joy. And I felt this energy of love coming from this white light. And then I was being told the telepathy was then telling me that this, what I'm looking at and feeling now, this is the source of all creation. This is where it all comes from. You know, this, this is God. This is not the image of God that's normally in some kind of human form in, in all faiths, really. Um, you know, no, this was it. It was coming from this pure white light in this huge tunnel with these very powerful flames that were slowly turning around. And, I remember actually laughing, you know, with joy at that point. And it was then that I came crashing back into my body. I was back in the hospital, you know, I was back into the drama of the hospital. The lights then were suddenly fluorescent strip that I couldn't even look at, you know, and the noise was just over overkill. Um, and the pain <laughs> was, was <laughs> immense. The uh, As you described that uh, tunnel in your book, I, I had this... Um uh thought of um you know the cornucopia out of which everything pours it's mm. a you know it's like a mythological tunnel basically it's a it's a almost like a conch shell or something that that funnels out all of the all of the universe uh, out of that creative light that you were talking about yeah yeah and i think exactly. you said flaming hues of orange and red and gold slowly erupting flaring and weaving amazing well, this is it. And, you know, and, and now, I mean, ever since my idea, I've always been fascinated and still am by watching any programs all about uh, space travel, you know, astronauts. I like to hear their their take on it, you know, how when they go out to space and they're traveling out in the universe and stuff. And, and there's really, there's been some really profound, um, you know, reactions to these men who are, who are scientists. They're, they're, they're the scientists of all scientists to be able to do that job, you know. And and it's really wonderful to to hear that, but also seeing all these beautiful new images that we're getting from these telescopes, you know, from from the Hubble telescope and and the new one that's just come out, you know, and it's fascinating because some of those images that are, are coming out are very similar to what I saw, and there's been some moments of uh, affirmation for me because I painted some, I, I painted what I'd seen, you know, the tunnel of white light and and I, the 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 colors and that were coming from it. And mm. um, they're very similar to images that um, the Hubble uh, telescope had taken of, of the far edges of our galaxy. So it's, it's, and, you know, I remember some friends phoning me up and saying, have you got the news on? Have you seen these images on the news? I said, no, <laughs> I said, switch it on. It's your painting, you know, which is really <laughs> lovely. You know, it was really lovely to, 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 to sense that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Now, when you were confronting this this tunnel opening with the flames around it, did you take it as an invitation to enter the tunnel? I mean, was this your choice as to whether to to go on from there or to come back? Um, I didn't actually think about that at all. Because I, I do know, obviously, now that a lot of people who have near-death experiences mm. do actually enter that tunnel. So the, the tunnel of white light figures a lot in, in most NDEs. Um, but... For me, as I say, I knew nothing about NDEs at that point in my life. And so it, it wasn't something that I thought, should I be entering it or not? And I wasn't given the choice, you know, because it was pretty much at that point that I'd had this profound moment of knowledge that this was this is the source of all creation and this was the source of love, you know, uh, that I was sent back. And, and it's interesting because when I did come back, a lot of people say to me, oh, you must have been really disappointed. Mm. 
And yes, part of me was, but the, the, I felt like I was still attached to that realm with, with an umbilical cord that was just to this. And I, so I felt excited still. And all I could say to myself was, why have they sent me back? What's what's my mission? What have I got to do? You know, mm-hmm. you know. I remember throughout, you know, the weeks in in hospital, lying in that bed, I could hardly move. But all I could think about was, what is my mission? What do they want me to do? They, I, I must have come back for a reason, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Was uh, was your family there when you came back? Was Anna there? Yes, yes, they were there actually. Yeah, and because um, I remember they were just about to take me into into a theater to to operate on me and so yeah um and i was as i say i was full of excitement and i and i i remember i i said to anna who was stood near me i said anna i've got something to tell you and she said not now just tell me later i said no <laughs> this is really important you've got to hear about this now you know <laughs> and uh, she's she put her hand over my mouth very, very softly and said, "You can tell me later." And I said, "Okay." So, uh, so yeah. So, so I, and we did talk about it. I mean, she was one of the first people that I told, and I told her, and I told, you know, I told my sister. It took me a week to tell my parents about it because, because the fact that they're Christian, I thought this is probably, you know, not going. It might not gel with all their teachings you know from from their church and i wanted them to to understand it and get it and to to believe it you know what was hannah's reaction i mean you had this eye-to-eye contact with her when you both realized that you were trapped and were probably going to be dragged to your death by the train well yeah she i mean we spoke a lot she was living in london and i was in in cambridge in hospital there so you know it's about 100 mile apart but we kept a lot of contact by phone and uh, and i knew that she felt she just said you know she really couldn't stop thinking about it and thinking about what had happened and thinking about me and and so we our bonded we'd hardly known each other that long but suddenly we were very very you know we knew each other very well because what had happened i think that would happen with anybody with two people who've just been through something even a, a complete stranger you would you'd feel that sense of of, of, but but for her, I mean, it was just it, it was terrifying because she ran through the carriage as uh, through the car of the of the train, you know, as, as it pulled out the station and looked through the window. And she told me, she said, uh, "I know this is going to sound strange, David, but when you went under the train, you just you went under so gracefully." And I said, "I know, I know, I did." And she said, "Why is that then?" I said, "Because." It's like it's not like time slowed down, but it's like I because I went into fight or flight mode. It's really bizarre, but I remember thinking, even though the whole thing only took seconds, I thought I'd seen a news flash uh, a couple of weeks previous where a small infant had been thrown from a burning apartment block and had landed without any injuries. And they said that's because infants don't tense up like we do as adults. Mm-hmm. So I, I relaxed my body the, uh, that and I went I went under. And I was uh, obviously I realised I, I was told later by because I went back to the spiritualist church and there was a lot of mediums would be there and and picking up a lot about me because this energy was still coming out of me and and one of them said you know the day you had your accident you had a very strong a power animal that that was there and I was going wow that's remarkable that's great I'd never heard of that before and she said yeah that's what saved you yeah. that's what 
cradled you and, and relaxed you to go through and, and survive that because the, the British Rail Police spent a whole year doing their inquiries. You know, they pulled the, the, the car doors right down to the last, last rivet, you know. And when they finished their all their stuff, you know, they said, well, we're finished now, David. And I said, okay. And I remember he turned around, the head of the police, and he said, look, we were all banging our heads together still. You should be dead. We did all our measurements. You should not have survived that. We don't get it. <laughs> Anna did something else, too. She uh, got the people on the train to pray for you. That's right, yeah. Because tra- she she couldn't get the train to stop, and uh, yeah. she couldn't, you know, so there was all these notices over the door saying if you pull this you'll get a hundred pound fine don't pull this don't pull that and obviously if you're in shock you just don't know what to do so she said she ran through the train looking for a a guard you know and she came across a guy who was collecting tickets and so she grabbed him and he said "I'll, i'll i'll tell the driver so he so the train just stopped in the middle of the countryside and she said they were just sat on this train and so she figured i hadn't survived it you know because she saw me go under as it pulled out at great speed. And um, so she turned around and said, I'd like to say a prayer for my friend who's just gone under the train because, you know, and I, I don't think he survived it. And she said, a, a, a woman stepped forward and said, look, I'm Christian. Would you like me to take the prayers? And she said, that'd be great. And she said, it was amazing. She said, everyone just laid down their laptops and, and, and iPads and newspapers because they're all commuters. Yeah. And everyone prayed. And I said, you know what, Anna? I felt the, the power of those prayers. I felt it, and, and I did. And I also noted from my parents that various churches in all the all the villages around, because it was in all the in, in all over the news at the time, were praying for me. And I felt the power of those prayers. And I really believe now that if people say, "Can you say some prayers for somebody who I love?" I, I say, "Yeah." And I pray very because I do believe in the power of prayer. It really does work. Yes. Well, you asked a friend to bring you something to draw with, pad and that's right, yeah. pencil. Yeah. Tell us about what motivated you to to do that. It was it was actually um, fear that I was going to forget everything that had happened because it was so profound, and I just thought this uh, everyone's got to know about this, and so I thought the best thing I can do to record it is to actually do. A drawing, and I thought, no, it's got to be a painting. I thought it's got to be like those huge Renaissance paintings that you see, you know, in the Vatican, you know, those biblical scenes. It's got to be like that. And I'd done nothing like this before, but I didn't care. So I remember the nurses propped me up and they got me, I got this little sketch pad, and I've still got it. And they're very, very faint sketches as of what I, for my, for my very first painting that I did. Mm. And um, yeah, as time went on, I started to get more strength. I started asking some of the nurses if I could sketch them to use them, you know, and so I used them in the painting, you know, because obviously, you, you you know, you need people to be able to sit for you. And uh, so they featured, which is lovely to be able to incorporate them in the very first painting that I did, which is all about what, I, what I'd seen there in the afterlife. And, but it didn't stop because once I started doing that painting, obviously I was apprehensive at first because I thought I've got to pull this off, you know, I can't mess it up. But once I started painting, I was amazed at how well it was all coming together. And I knew that I was being helped. I knew that I was still attached, as I say, with this with this umbilical cord to the other realm and the energy was still coming through. And somebody was giving me a crash course on how to 
create skin tones with with color, how to apply paint and to be brave and to do all these different things to create the very first painting that I did. And uh, yeah, so that's how it all started. And then I couldn't stop. I was prolific. I kept painting more and more from that moment on. Yeah. (laughs) In the book, you say the Renaissance painters got it so wrong when they painted the creator as a bearded man. (laughs) <laughs> uh, poised in the sky they should have That's painted right. the light instead indeed yeah where all indeed. things return then yeah. and then it says uh this is this is the source of all love this is life itself that's it yeah yeah that's why that's what i believe and so so that's what i've been painting since those are my images of, yeah. of what i've seen well so. the uh the the one you did of the flames around the tunnel mm. a very dramatic beautiful painting you told me is uh, on its way to the Museum of the Bible in Washington DC. That's right. Yeah, it's not the actual just the actual tunnel itself. It's the one with, with the tunnel, and then also with the with the being of light with the black T-shirt. Yes. Um, so it's that one there, and that's yeah. So I was contacted by the Museum of the Bible, and uh, they said that they'd um, they'd seen all the, my interviews and they'd seen my paintings, and they said we'd like to loan that particular painting for an exhibition that is going to be it's going to be there on loan for a year next year so i'm really excited about that not just because it's going to be out there you know and people seeing it and and in, in washington dc but i'm excited about the fact that that the museum of the bible uh, are looking you know into near death experiences and and hearing people's stories and want to actually do an exhibit on it and and talking about the, that that aspect so that's really exciting that's great when uh ions has their conference next labor day it's very close it's in virginia very close to washington dc and so i plan to make a trip into washington to take a look <laughs> great <laughs> i'd like to ask you too your painting called my realization of christ tell us about what inspired that okay so that came because as i say i i gone back to that spiritualist church where I met the medium because I wanted to see if they could help piece together what happened, you know, and they did. They knew straight away. They, they said, you had a near-death experience, you know, and uh, um, when I was there, I was, you know, I was looking pretty banged up. I, I got all bits of plastic holding my arm together and they said, look, we do spiritual healing. We don't normally invite people. That's for, for you to make the choice. But if you'd like to come along, I said, yes, definitely. I'd love to. It sounds great. So I started having spiritual healing. So yeah, it all came because some of the healers are clairvoyant and would give very short messages at the end of the healing session. You know, normally simple things like you know I could see a, a, a blue light that was coming through into your heart chakra or or what have you. But there was one healing session when I was there. You know, I'd laid out on this bed and I was being healed, healed by two healers, mm. and I saw an image of Christ uh, floating above me. And I thought, wow, Christ is with me. And uh, it was really wonderful. But what was great was we finished, whenever we finished, we always sit there in silence for a while. Nobody talks. And we just kind of like, sort of like just gathering our thoughts. And then one of the the clairvoyant healers said, David, I just want to let you know that Christ was with you when I was healing you. That was a very special moment. And I said, Mm. no, I, I saw him as well. So, of course, I had to go home and paint him. So that was my realization of Christ. So I, I wanted to paint him as I'd seen him uh, floating above my body, looking really healthy and, and beautiful, you know. And uh, But I also wanted to paint an image because most images of Christ are at, at his worst possible point where he's at, 
on a cross. I mean, and uh, there's obvious reasons for that, I know. But I just I want to try to get away from that as well. I want to paint this image of 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 life and love that I saw, you know, that it was it, he was just really healthy and and the energy that was coming from him was just one of of kindness and and joy and love. So so that's how I painted him, yeah. So this is the resurrected Christ looking down on the world. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. Lee. It is. It's it's like the resurrection, you know, because that's how he he's seen, isn't he? In the resurrection, he looks. He's he's just wearing like a white cloth, I think. And uh, from I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not very up on the Bible itself. My, my dyslexia. I tried to read the Bible after my NDE because I wanted to try and see what was going on, but it's very difficult for me to try and grasp things unfortunately so hopefully when i go over to the museum of the bible i'll be able to learn a lot more from that museum which i'm looking forward to because it's very visual by the looks of it since you're so interested in the visual um the shroud of turin would be a really interesting artifact i would think for you and i believe they're going to have an exhibit of a replica of the shroud of turin at the museum of the bible that's right yeah i think from what my emails with them i think that that might be happening now yeah they said that yeah. that was going to be the one that's before my and uh, it would be nice if they were if they were there together it um, would be great wouldn't it yeah 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 let's but, hope but so. check out the image that was left on the uh burial cloth in the tomb when jesus was resurrected the cloth was left behind and there's a whole history connected <laughs> with the shroud of turin yeah <laughs> in the little bit of time we've got left david i'd like you to tell how you got into uh, composing music? Well, that came along again. I was like indicated by one of the healers uh, at the spiritual healing. They kept saying, one of them would say, oh, I'm, I'm, why am I seeing a violin laid across your chest while I'm healing you? I said, I have no idea. Then another one would say, I, I hear Beethoven and Wagner. And I said, okay. Then one of them said, they're telling me that you're going to go and write a piece of music about your experience. So I said, right. So as soon as I got that message, I went back to my apartment and uh, all I got was an old cheap synthesizer and I just got that out. And I got it all, and, and I got no computer at that point. All I got was like a little uh, cassette recorder. And I started writing what I thought was going to be a song, you know, but that wasn't coming. Nothing was happening. Then one day I was watching an old movie on the TV and I was just sat there with this synthesizer and also this chord progression just happened with my right hand and I thought wow that sounds really beautiful quick record it you know and I, I recorded it with the tv on in the background still you know but <laughs> and then I went and made some coffee came back and thought no this is something special and I just started developing it and I thought this is this needs to be performed by an orchestra this is not a three-minute song so I kept with the same sense of sort of you know no barriers that I just got on with it and I'd met a, a, a cello player uh, who was interested in my my work, and she was very spiritual. And she said, what are you up to? We were having coffee one day. And I said, look, I've just written this piece of music and told her all about it. She said, well, maybe uh, the orchestra I play with could perform it. And I said, well, that would be great. So my brother kind of stepped in and said, look, you need some software. You need. I'm going to give you a, an old laptop and some software. And when you play your keyboard, it'll sort of transform that into notation because the orchestra needs music. They won't, they can't just have a cassette with like, here it is, play it, you know? <laughs> so that's what happened. And I just worked and worked around the clock 24 seven. And then I met with the orchestra and I took the score in and I can't read or write music. So I didn't even know what was on there. And I said, but here it is. What do you think? And they said, yeah, 
we'll do it. So they agreed to do it. And um, they, they, it was amazing because I, I was being helped in the same way as the paintings to, to create this piece of music. But not only that, I was also being helped by bringing the whole thing alive, you know, because they, they said to me, look, you know, um, we normally get composers to say a few words to the local press. Would you do that? I said, yeah, of course. So I spoke to the local press and they said, hang on, you're the guy who went under the train, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, this is going on the front cover. And then the phone kept ringing. Then the BBC said, we want to come to the rehearsal and interview you and, and film the, the orchestra. So I said, great. So because of that, the, the concert sold out two weeks in advance. And so the whole place was this packed. And for me, there was no sense of ego involved in all this. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, I'm the great I am. It was more like brilliant. This The atmosphere is going to be really amazing and people are going to be able to experience what I experienced through the music, hopefully. And they certainly did, you know. it's um, I couldn't believe how beautiful it sounded. Again, just like looking at those paintings, I, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like listening to something that I created on my own. This was like coming through from the universe and there was like it, it, there it was being performed. And it was like a three-dimensional sound that just filled the whole you know, place. And uh, there was a standing ovation and... Uh, I was sat with my family. My mum was in tears again, but this time it was tears of joy, you know? So yeah, wow. it was amazing. Well, your website has a sample of that three parts of that concert. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's three uh, movements. It's three called movements. the divine light. And so there's, there's three movements yeah. to it. Yeah. And you've been going ahead with that, writing other music as well. Yeah. I didn't stop from then, you know, I got commissioned pretty much soon afterwards by different orchestras and so i've been writing since and i'm writing a new piece now and so the plan is to be releasing some music that people can download because up till now you know, I've, I've been the, the the actual symphony you can listen to that for free which is which is great by me you know on my on my website but people have been saying i want to be able to listen to this in my car when i'm driving and stuff so there's going to be a whole group of new pieces that i'm putting together which is using classical musicians but also uh, synthetic sounds as well you know synthesizers and and and, and you know it's it's i'm i'm really excited about it it feels really good yeah well you should i mean it's amazing tell folks how they can find your website where they can hear the music and also see your paintings yeah sure if you go to it's called shine on the story because uh my book which i didn't actually talk about did I, I a book came out a couple of years ago which is tells the whole story and uh, i think you actually you introduced it sorry didn't you lee my apologies i did but i was going to ask ask about <laughs> right after yeah. the, right after this <laughs> yeah so anyway, so that's why the website is called shine on the story.com or you can try davidditchfield.com. Either way, it will take you to my website. And when you get to the website, you can see links to my social media if you're interested in following me to get updates on what I'm doing, you know, Instagram. And, and also there's a YouTube channel where you can you can watch YouTube videos that I've made. So shineonthestory.com. Of course, people are going to wonder, being dyslexic, how you wrote a book. And in fact, you had someone help you with that, but they seem to be reading your mind. Tell, That's tell, right. Yeah. Tell us a little about that. Yeah. Um, well, it's something that I'd always wanted to do. It was to write my story, but I thought that's not going to happen with, with my dyslexia. I couldn't get past that 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 um, sort of barrier, if you like. And then uh, it was by chance a, a, a friend of mine got in touch. I hadn't seen for some time. She'd been living in the Highlands of Scotland. 
And she said, when are you going to write your story? And I said, oh, you know, I can't, I'm dyslexic. And so she said, well, how about, you know, I co-write it? I said, brilliant. So that's how it works. And so we did hours and hours of conversation and interviews. A lot of it was done online like we're doing now because she was living, you know, hundreds of miles away from me. But she said to me afterwards, you know, she when she watched my videos uh, on talking about channeling and how I channel energy through when I'm in my music and my art, she said, you know what? I know from what you're talking about, that's what I was doing when I was writing the book. I was channeling and she knew nothing about it at that stage. Uh. And I said, yeah, you were, because it's like you got right inside my mind. I, I couldn't believe how close you got to the whole essence of the story and me. So that worked out great. So that's that made that book work, you know. So we were both being helped to make that come together and uh, and, and reach a lot of people, which it has. You know, it's been really well received, yes. which is amazing. Yeah. Well, well received even by uh, Raymond Moody. That, and that's yes. A, <laughs> that's a, a big step up for any uh, book that is concerning NDEs. David, thank you so much for this interview. This has been fascinating. It'll first be aired the day after Christmas. And since this is a story about gifts, I thought, how appropriate that just fell that way that oh. you're talking about gifts from the light. Yeah. And uh, brilliant. Anyway, so thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. It's been great chatting with you. Really has. Yeah. My thanks again to David Ditchfield for sharing the story of his NDE and the abilities he gained. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 480 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday. 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.